Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. I am happy to have Automotive Seminars as a sponsor for the show. Now, if you're not familiar, Automotive Seminars is a diagnostic technician training company. They've got a website that there'll be a link to in the show notes. And what they offer is top-notch training to technicians like us in the field. I've been taking their training courses for years and have got a ton of benefit out of it. They've got top-notch instructors, John Thornton, Scott Shotton, Scott Manna. And every other month, they've got a two-night course that you can sign up for. Join in, ask questions, and afterwards, you've paid for the course, you can access a recorded version whenever you want. You can rewatch the class two years later in case you wanted some details on it. And that is a fantastic feature. So make sure to check out the website to see what courses they have available and what's coming up in the future. This podcast is brought to you by Jarhead Diagnostics. Jarhead Diagnostics manufactures in-house diagnostic equipment and storage solutions, as well as distributes for companies like Pico, ATS, and Topdon. One of my favorite tools that I've bought from Brandon and Jarhead Diag is the case for the U-Scope. If you don't have a U-Scope, you probably should, but if you have one, you got to get one of these 3D printed cases, has a magnet on it, has a full-size BNC lead that you can connect to, and it gets rid of the weak point of that scope, which is the mini BNC connection, which is pretty fragile. This case makes this thing nice and secure and makes it an even better tool than it was. So check out jarheaddiag.com. The link is in the show notes. Hey, for listeners of the show, if you want a discount on Jarhead Diagnostic products, use discount code DIAGPODCAST. That's D-I-A-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, DIAGPODCAST, for 10% off purchases from jarheaddiag.com. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for this week's episode. Joining me on the show this week is Brittany Grant. Brittany is a field service engineer for General Motors, and she's going to come on the show and share with us her journey in the automotive world, how she came to the position that she's at with General Motors, some of the diagnostic challenges that she works through on a day-to-day basis, and her love of Corvettes. Uh, This is really cool. Uh, Brittany is a very well-spoken, interesting, intelligent person, uh, and it was really cool to get to meet her. I know you're going to enjoy this interview, so with that out of the way, oh, let's jump right in. Well, uh, welcome to the show, Brittany. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I um, I found a video on YouTube of you speaking with a gentleman about uh, what you do with uh, General Motors. And uh, I was like, I really want to, uh, I want to more, hear more about this. Um I, uh, just for reference, what I do, I, I do mobile, uh, diagnostics and programming for aftermarket independent repair shops. So I'll go in my van and I, I've got a couple vans and we go to shops and just assist with diagnostic issues. Like, Hey, this module doesn't communicate and we don't know why we've put four different parts in it and it still doesn't fix it or all program modules, you know, after replacement, we use the factory software and stuff like that. Um, so anyways, um, the whole uh, field service engineer, uh, I find very interesting because it's, I think, similar to what we're doing out here, but that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you is hear about it and hear about what you do with General Motors. Yeah. So the position of a field service engineer, it, it sounds a lot like that. Um, however, so my 
my job spectrum, I only do GM vehicles, right? So we're talking Buick, GMC, Chevy, Cadillac. Um, and the way it works is, you know, we work on the toughest vehicle concerns, right? So a customer brings their vehicle into the dealership, technicians working through uh, what we have technical assistance center, which is a remote center to um, provide technical advice and assistance. If that center is not able to quickly and efficiently help the, te the technician diagnose and repair the vehicle, then a field service engineer is sent out. Okay. And we have like other job um, requirements and stuff that we do outside of that as well, but that's our main focus. Okay. So you're actually physically traveling to the different dealerships within a specific area or what's your range? Yeah. Um, so mine currently I'm out in Eastern PA. Um, okay. So that's kind of my little, little region, if you will. Gotcha. And then, uh, did I see that you specialize in Corvettes or do you cover all makes and models? What's the, um, so I tell people that I work on all GM vehicles, but I play with the Corvettes. Okay. I, I'm absolutely passionate and love the Corvette. That's what got me into the field in general. Okay. So, so nice. I love my Corvettes. Okay. All right. That's understandable. Um, how, how did you get into this role? What was your, uh, journey through the automotive world, like tech school, right to the dealership, or what was your path? So my path was kind of unique. Um, and growing up, like, let me just, let me just say, I did not grow up around cars. I knew, I, I knew nothing. I knew, uh, put gas in and turn the key. And that was it. If a light comes on, just take it to the shop. And, uh, so I graduated high school and I didn't really know what to do with my life. And so I thought, okay, well, the healthcare has, you know, some good job security, so I'll do that. So I started going to school for nursing and I was actually a florist at a flower shop. Okay. And like on my commute from college to work, um, I passed a Chevy dealership and one day out front, they had the most beautiful car I'd ever seen in my life. And I didn't even know what kind of car it was. And that night I went to the dealership website. And it was a Corvette. It was a ZR1. And it had 638 horsepower, 604 foot-pounds of torque. And I had no idea what that meant. So <laughs> I started looking up, you know, horsepower and torque and these weird automotive terms. And over the next two weeks, I became obsessed with this car. I just, I had to know everything about it. And finally, I built up enough courage to go up to the dealership and drive it. And it's a funny story. Um, when I go to the dealership, I knew they weren't going to let a 19-year-old drive a $100,000 sports car, right? Right. Um, so I had a plan. And I got all dressed up. And I went to the dealership. And I said, um, my dad's going to buy me a car for my birthday. And this one's really pretty. <laughs> and I, I'm telling you, I had like four or five salesmen with me, like looking at this car, right? Uh -huh. And um, they get in and they're like, yeah, you know, push the button, start it up. So I go to push the button and nothing happens. Battery was dead. <laughs> so I get out of the car and like one of the salesmen goes and gets a jump box and they pop the hood and I blew my cover. I said, guys, the battery's in the back for weight distribution. Let me tell you about this car. <laughs> And so I started walking them around this car and telling them everything I knew, you know, LS9, Wix and Performance Build Center and all this stuff. And finally, at the end of it, I said, you got to let me drive this car. You have to. Mm -hmm. And they did. And it was magical. It sealed the deal for me. And I finished up uh, my semester of nursing and I switched to automotive. Okay. And yeah, it was a scary change because I didn't yeah. know tools. I mean, what was a ratchet? you know, something as simple as that. So. And you picked up most of that stuff through the tech program, like a tech program that you attended. And yeah. So the one, and mind you at this point, like I didn't know anything in the automotive realm. Mm -hmm. um, so this was just a generic automotive school that I went to um, in the beginning. And then I ended up actually going to a GMA sub school. Um, oh. So had I known about the GMA sub program, you know, 
um, it really would have accelerated me more. But this, the one that I started out was just a generic automotive school. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's where I started learning some stuff. And I said, okay, well, while I'm in school, I need to start working on cars, right? Like I need mm-hmm. some of that experience. So um, I applied everywhere that I could find. And this little mom pop shop hired me. Um, and they actually specialized in old stuff. So 60s and 70s. So the first stuff I learned were, you know, how to pack wheel bearings, make brake lines, rebuild carburetors, things like that. Diving right into it. That's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, eventually, so you went to the the GM school. Was that after you started working there, they got you into a program or how does that work for somebody who like knows that they want to work on General Motors cars? So anybody can go into the GMA set program and, and what it is, is it's a, you know, it's a two part program, right? So we have the GMA set schooling and then they partner with the GM dealerships. Mm-hmm. So you can actually like start working in a dealership and get paid while you're going to school. Oh, nice. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really a win-win situation there and you graduate in two years. So. Okay. All right. And then how did you get, or how long did it take you to get from starting out as a technician to moving into a field service engineer position? What's the path there for somebody? Well, that was a little unique. Um, so my, my love for Corvette kind of grew, um, uh exponentially. And I said, I have to get out to the National Corvette Museum. Um, I I just had to. And at the time I was living in Southwest Missouri is where I'm from. Okay. So I drove out to Bowling Green, Kentucky, and it was like one of their, their big events that they were having. And I get out there and I meet, um, a GM world-class technician. And at the time I was working at that independent shop. And he was, he was naming off like torque specs and part numbers and all of this stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm looking it up in the back, like fact checking him. I'm like, does this guy really know all of this stuff? And so, um, I go up to him at the end of the seminar and I was like, how do I become GM world-class certified? Like, how do I, how do I even do that? And he's like, well, you need to start working at a dealership. And he just started going through, um, you know, the different pathways and all the training that's, that's involved. So at the end of the event, he said, if you like this, you need to go to some of the other Corvette events with me. Okay. And he's like, we can teach people about Corvettes. We can co-host these seminars. We can do this. And I was like, all right, I'm in. And so I started traveling with him to different Corvette events around the country. Okay. Um, And I started um, you know, kind of mingling with all the Corvette people and the Corvette engineering was there. And, um, when this position came about, um, I ended up applying and it was funny. One of the Corvette engineers knew me from the Corvette events and had put in a good word when, when it was, you know, Hey, this person applied, um, you know, do, do we know her? (laughs) So, Uh uh and that's kind of, kind of how, how it came about. Um, and it's funny, you know, my passion for Corvettes, it's it's still there. But when I became a field engineer, I really dove into having a passion for diagnostics. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a different... It, it it's, is. It's extremely rewarding. Yeah. Um, and it's fun. I like it. I, I 100% understand what you're saying there. Like when I first got into this in high school... Right. I was doing the auto tech classes and stuff like I had that passion for, you know, my truck and my, my dad had a 1990 Corvette, which he was very hesitant to let me work on or drive. But I got in there every once in a while. But um, it was it was a passion for me. I wanted, you know, to immerse myself in everything, you know, performance and aftermarket and all this stuff. And then as time went on, right, I was a tech, I was doing it every day that side of it kind of faded for me. Like right now, I don't, I don't want to work on my own stuff at all, <laughs> but the, the diagnostic part of it took that, took the place for that. I kind of, I didn't go into it expecting 
to enjoy it or make a career out of it. But I found, I was like, wow, this is like you say, extremely rewarding, um, to work through a really challenging problem and get on the other side of it. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, so you do a lot of diagnostics in your day to day right now, or how does that look? Oh yeah. That's, that's like the main part of my job. Um, okay. so we're, we're out there in the field, um, at the dealerships, um, you know, diagnosing these difficult concerns. And I think one of the most rewarding parts about this job is not only am I having fun while I'm diagnosing, um, but I'm also teaching the technicians as Mm. I'm going, like I'm teaching them the techniques that I'm using. Why am I going, you know, this direction with it? Um, you know, and how, how you're viewing the concern itself, um, just kind of, kind of bestowing knowledge upon you know i love it yeah. i love it so. yep i i understand that too is uh, it, if somebody's willing to you know learn or ask questions when i'm out at a shop like i will 100 help them and say yeah here's why i checked this component or here's why you know yeah your th- sharing your thought process can be huge for people what so you you're dealing with new cars that I imagine in a lot of cases, nobody else has even looked at these types of problems. Um, if it's a 23 that's in there, you're probably seeing brand new stuff. What's your strategy for something like that? Trying to figure out a brand new car, a brand new system that, that there's no, there's not a whole lot of reference out there for it. Well, yes, we, we look at the new, new stuff, but basically anything that General Motors produces, we're, we're hands-on with. Um, So whether it be a 2012, whether it be a, you know, whatever, wherever we can assist, we're there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So any challenges that the dealership has, we're, we're there to assist if needed. Gotcha. Um, But the way that I go about like a brand new vehicle. um, So it's funny, you get to eliminate a lot of diagnostics with a brand new vehicle. Right. Because you're not dealing with um, too much dirt and debris. Sure. You're not really dealing with um, wires rubbed through or something like that. Yes. So you already know what not to look for. Okay. Basically. Um, but it a lot of it depends on the concern itself and what it's associated with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll give you an example of one of the strangest ones that I had. Okay. Um, and this was a brand new vehicle at the time, um, but it had been owned by a customer. So this vehicle is a 2016 Suburban, and it it was one of those concerns where you look at it and you're like, really? Really? Um, and the concern was the rear DVD system remote would work for the first 10 minutes and then stop working. Oh, weird. (laughs) And it's a concern that, you know, the vehicle's going to operate perfectly fine without Uh it. But someone put it into perspective for me once. They said, you don't buy a fridge for the ice maker, but if the ice maker doesn't work, you either get a new one or have someone fix it, right? Sure, sure. So to me, that was like, okay, whatever the customer concern is, if the vehicle had it, we need to fix it. It's just as important, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I went out to the vehicle, duplicated the concern. Sure enough, after 10 minutes, it was like the batteries died in the remote. That's what. That's how it acted. Okay. Um, no codes, of course. And before I'd gotten out there, you know, of course, there were multiple parts that had been replaced. We're talking both rear screens, the center stack, the remotes, of course, uh, media disc player, the headliner, which had the LVDS cables in it, and then the LVDS cables that ran through the instrument panel. Oh, wow. The whole system, literally. <laughs> we're uh, out of parts. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So everything was new, and we still had this concern. So I'm going through and I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, maybe I have some sort of frequency interference, you know, going on. Maybe I have this, that, and the other. Um, So I went down that path, kind of had a dead end. I actually had a couple other field engineers come out. They tried their hand at it. They couldn't figure it out. 
Um, and then they actually, it's cool. We have a bunch of resources at GM, right? Mm -hmm. So we actually flew out engineers, um, like integration engineers from Michigan to okay. this vehicle. And the guys that made it. Yeah. They weren't able to figure it out. Oh, wow. And it was kind of a, a situation where do we ship this vehicle back to Michigan? Do we, what do we do? And I said, no, 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 I'm going to fix this. It is so simple. It is. And I actually got a hold of the guy that made and designed the remote like 20 okay. years ago. Oh. And he's like, we've never heard of this. It was just such a one-off <laughs> situation. And I'm like, okay, I can fix this. I know I can do this. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to find a twin vehicle. I mean, matching RPOs. And I went and got the vehicle and I parked it side by side with the Suburban. Uh -huh. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. So I started swapping parts back and forth mm -hmm. until I could break the known good vehicle. Mm. And so what happened was I took the HDMI port from the back of the console, put it in the known good vehicle. And after 10 minutes, the remote stopped working. Okay. So that's a situation where you fix the car. You don't know how. <laughs> um, so what I did was I was like, I'm not going to let this go. I have to know what yeah. this means. Yeah. So we sent the HDMI port um, and the USB, like there's like an auxiliary and USBs with it too. We sent it back to engineering. I was like, I want a part parts analysis. Tell me what is wrong with this thing. <laughs> Come to find out the HDMI port had been shorted. Like someone had either put a connector in wrong, like, like, um, like an HDMI connector that was in yeah. wrong or a penny, like sure. the prongs inside the HDMI were shorted. Okay. The media disc player, who's the master begins to prioritize after 10 minutes of ignition on. And the HDMI port had higher priority than the remotes. Oh, so it thought something was plugged into the, the HDMI when it wasn't. Okay. Yep. So That's it started wild. ignoring the remote input after. <laughs> that is nuts. That uh, was a rough one. Yeah. Uh, you know, those, those infotainment systems can be really challenging, especially in the aftermarket when you're getting one that you're not familiar with at all. Like I've never dealt with the infotainment system on this 2014 Acura. I don't even know what components are involved. And yeah, you're trying to read through, uh, you know, all of the different things that are involved and, oh, wait, there's four different options depending on the trim of the vehicle. And does it have this component? I don't know. That stuff can be surprisingly uh, challenging to work through. Um, do you guys do a lot of stuff with infotainment or... Off and on, yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, we're doing bumper to bumper, right? Like sure. any system on the vehicle we're working okay. with. So um, it's not that we specialize in just one little area. Um, but I do I do see quite a few infotainments come through. What would you say is the most challenging thing that you see on a regular basis for technicians in the field doing this stuff? Like what... What's the majority of things that you guys are getting calls for? I wish I could say that there was something that stuck out, but I'm getting anything you could think of, okay. whether it be vibrations, water leaks, um, you know, electrical communication problems, noises. I mean, anything and everything. What's your uh, What's your favorite? one of those problems and what is your least favorite call to get communication problems i love them so much let me have all of them okay um regardless of the the system like it is so simple when you break it down and i love teaching technicians about it um so like for instance what are the four things that a module needs power ground communication lines and a wake up yes Thank you. It is so simple, right? Yeah. When you break it down like that, it is. And it gets so lost in all these U codes and, and mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how this talks to each other. Um, but when you break it down, it's it gets so simple. So mm -hmm. I really like simplifying that for a technician. And um, I love working with that stuff. It's fun to me. As long as it's a hard fault. I 100% agree. Some of the intermittent communication faults can get pretty wild, but yeah, if it's a 
it does not talk to my scan tool or the car right now. I'm right there in the same boat. Like, let's just see what is missing and we're done. <laughs> I think duplicating is definitely half the battle sometimes. And, you know, there's different techniques that I've used in the past um, or I still use um, that help me get through that. Okay. And it's looking at the vehicle from a completely different perspective. So when a technician's going out to a vehicle, you know, the first thing they're doing is grabbing the key fob and, you know, pushing the buttons, trying to find it out in the parking lot. Um, They get up to it, open the driver's door, get in, drive it into the shop, park it, key off, key on. The actual life of that vehicle is owned by, you know, a mom of three. And the first thing she's doing is she's opening up the rear hatch, putting all Mm. the stuff in the back. Then she's opening up both the rear doors, putting the kids in, making sure they're safe, then getting into the driver's, driver's seat. So it's those situations. I want to know the exact environment and daily use of this vehicle. And when you know that, it really makes intermittents not so intermittent. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't, I don't think that there's like this weird, you know, um, intermittent concerns just, you know, happen out of nowhere for no reason that you hear that all the time. No, there's definitely a pattern that needs to be followed and you can duplicate it every time. Mm-hmm. It's just figuring it out. Figuring that out. Yeah. And that's, are you directly communicating with the customer or is it through somebody else in the dealership? Cause that's as a technician where I found a big issue is in a situation like that, where I would like some real concrete details or intricate details of how it happens or how the vehicle is used. I had to pick up the phone and call a customer myself because there's just, there's things that are lost in translation with maybe a service writer or somebody else who's not as technically minded. Like I got to hear it right from the horse's mouth to get what I need in order to figure it out. Yeah. So as a field engineer, um, typically I'm just working with a technician, but there are times where we will bring the customer in Okay. Um, to show us what's going on or just talk to them in general. We do have customer concern verification worksheets that we um, ask all these questions, who, what, when, where, why. And as we're going through, you know, one of the things is like, if a dealership's not able to duplicate, one of the items on there is taking the customer for a, a test drive. Show me what's wrong with it. Um, yeah. Show me what you're experiencing. So. Yeah, I always tell everybody, if you want your car to never be broken, just have me in the back seat the whole time. It'll never act up. <laughs> I promise it was doing it before you got here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that's that's one of our biggest challenges, the intermittence, just because of time. Sometimes that duplication process can be so lengthy just to get it to act up. And um I, I'm sure it's the same for you. Like I'm relying on my test methods to get me the answer, right? That's how I come up with the component that is failed or the wire or whatever it is. Uh, I need to see a test fail and then, okay, either, you know, I proceed with more testing or I know that this component is, is bad. And I try to explain that to shops as like, Hey, if, if we can't get it to act up, I can test all day long and maybe I'll find something that's outside of the normal range, but proving it to be, you know, the cause of it obviously doesn't always work out that way. So I don't like, I I try to avoid them as much as I can, but, um, I understand. Yeah. If you're in a dealership and you're getting, you know, customer owned vehicles back, like you don't have much of a choice, right? You gotta, you gotta work through it and figure it out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, I think one of the things a lot of people want to like when we're talking about these advanced vehicles, right? We're talking about the modules and how they communicate. You know, we're having 30, 40 plus modules put into these vehicles. It does get complicated. Mm-hmm. And explaining that um, on a customer level, it can it can get, you know, off into the weeds sometimes. So yeah. it, it can be difficult. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, just even sometimes getting the the customers to comprehend all of what's going on for their DVD player to work or something relatively simple, like 
you know, uh, the horn now goes through a LIN bus, through a module to this, to that, just to get the horn to honk. And it, it's difficult to explain that stuff sometimes, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's the world we live in. I, I really do enjoy the communication stuff too. That's when, like I say, when it's broken, it, it's, it's good. And I, I get a lot of calls on it too. Uh, when shops can't communicate, they see that you code, they kind of get scared of even jumping in at all. And like you say, it, once you kind of get at a feel for it and you understand the network construction, it's, it's really not that bad most of the time. Yeah. And speaking of communication, I can, I can share with you the one time, and I, I have to emphasize that the one time that a body control module was at fault. Okay. <laughs> um, I have never had a body control module at fault except for this one vehicle. Okay. And it was crazy. Um, and I want to throw this out there because like this taught me a lot. Um, so follow me with this one. Okay. Sure. Sure. So this one was a 2017 Acadia. Um, very simple concern. When you go up to it and try to remote start, the exterior lights will flash, but no remote start. Okay. Uh, when you try to open the lift gate with the key fob, lights would flash lift gate would not open. If you were key on, the lift gate would operate as normal. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going through this vehicle and no codes, of course. Uh -huh. So I I'm at a loss because if the power lift gate is working key on, what is the difference key off? And I know right. that it's sending the signal from the key fob. The lights are flashing. That's mm -hmm. fine. Um, and long story short, I go into the inhibit reasons, right, for the lift yep. gate. And all of them were good. Like, I had no inhibit reasons for the lift gate. Okay. Obviously, because the key was on and it was working fine, right? Sure. So it was one of those moments. Yeah, yeah. So there's a moment where if you key off on a vehicle, you're still communicating just for a little bit, right? Yep. So I keyed off just to see if any of the inhibit reasons would change. And I got an inhibit reason for vehicle over speed. Oh. And I was like, that's weird. Okay. So body control module, how fast do you think we're going with key off? And it said zero miles per hour. I'm like, mm. well, that, that doesn't make sense. So I go to the engine control module and I do the same thing. Key on was zero miles per hour. And when I turned key off, it was 136 miles per hour. Oh, weird. Okay. So yeah, definitely that's going to disable remote start and <laughs> disable the uh, lift gate if we think we're going 136 miles an hour. Sure. Um, so I'm going through and I'm like, why, where does the engine control module get its speed on this vehicle? It gets it from a communication message. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not dealing with the cable and gears anymore. We're actually communication messages. Awesome. So I'm, I'm going through and I get to the wake up signal. What does the module need for, to communicate properly? And I found that the wake up signal to the ECM, mm -hmm. 12 volts with key on, 1.5 volts with key off. It should be, to be zero. zero. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. I disconnect everything. I'm going to the body control who sends it out to the ECM. And from the BCM, it was going to, from 12 volts to 1.5. Okay. And somehow the 1.5 volt with key off was interpreted as 136 miles per hour. Oh, weird. Huh. Put a new body control module in it and it fixed it. That's the yeah. one time. Interesting. So. Okay. I, so I always keep... check key off too, which is the weirdest <laughs> thing to me. Uh, but yeah, that's what I learned on that vehicle. So yeah, I I have had a lot of shops call me out for module replacement, right? Like, hey, we put an ABS module and we put a BCM in, and um, it's well, probably not BCM for this one, but they'll replace the module and then I get out there to program it and it doesn't talk. And it's that wake up circuit. That's the BCM sends out to all the different modules. And it's just something that's, I don't know, overlooked or not checked with, with their normal checks before they do a module. Um, I, I've had some weird ones too, where the splice, where that wake up circuit comes together under the carpet was corroded and you get some weird issues from that as well. Um, but 
I'm trying to think. I, I've done a lot of GMBCMs, but I'm I've done a lot of programming, right? And so that doesn't necessarily mean that they were bad. It just means that they were replaced. So <laughs> I I know that I've condemned at least a few of them on some older stuff. Yeah, it's usually for outputs that don't work, like this driver is failed for whatever. And even that, a lot of times is, you know, the component is at failure and it's taken out that driver or something like that. But yeah. yeah. Um, go, going back to the favorite or, or not so favorite calls, what do you hate working with or what is your least favorite? And why is it TLC, dealing with anything with TLC? <laughs> I think with any manufacturer, they do deal with challenges, especially with what we're dealing with in this time and space. Um, There has never been a moment in the automotive industry where we are changing from ICE to electric vehicles. Mm. And with those advancements, you know, we're going to have growing pains. Yeah. Um, You know, because we see the advancement in in the technology and the vehicles, we're going to have to evolve in you know the service and service technician environment as well and and we're seeing that and you know it's it's just one of those times where you know this is very unique this is a very unique time for us so Mm -hmm. so we're working through it um my least favorite honestly i can't think of a least favorite thing to work on i like working on them all i never liked the noise diagnostics i mean sometimes it's easy you like it? Okay. I, I, it. Uh, I have a unique one for that too. I have so many got? stories. I have so many. You know, you you asked me the question of uh, what is it? Um, strangest concern or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I have so many. It's like, oh man, this was a 2016 Suburban, I think. No, Yukon. And the the customer concern was driving on the highway. There's a whistling noise. Okay. And sure enough, I get out to the dealership and they had like the windshield taped off, you know, the the cowl was all taped up, you know, and you would drive down the road and it was just this loud whistling noise, like high pitched whistling noise. Okay. And, you know, I'm going through with um, a microphone, chassis ear, tried stethoscope, um, tried figuring out all these different things. We tried the bubble test, no air leaks. um, And then finally... I pop the hood and I'm just doing a visual inspection. Just what do I see? And you know the ground strap that goes from the engine to the firewall? Uh Uh-huh. So the way that they had it tightened, the end of the eyelet was actually itching on the edge of the firewall. And I'm like, no. There were witness marks there. (laughs) Like it had been, you know, kind of moving. Uh And I was like, there's no way like a scratching metal itching noise is making this noise. But sure enough, all I did was move the ground strap, <laughs> retighten it, and the noise was gone. So it was never a wind noise to begin with. Sure. Yeah. The, so I get it. I get why uh, noises can be frustrating, but uh-huh. but I think they're fun. Well, that, that's good. I'm glad somebody uh, enjoys doing those. <laughs> I, um, it, again, it would come down to whether it was intermittent noise or, yeah, something where you can only duplicate going down the road can be really challenging to work through because like you can use chassis ears and stuff like that but you can't always be on the component but i remember at firestone i I would actually go in the trunk sometimes and have somebody else drive the car around so i could like i gotta figure out where this noise is exactly originating from um i've had weird stuff like that too with the um uh, pieces of weather stripping like coming loose at a certain um uh, what was it? It was the old Chevy Blazer. The The weather stripping would come loose and start slapping, but it sounded like a front end suspension noise, the way it was like reverberating through the vehicle. And we were, we were like tearing apart the front end, like what is rattling up here? And then finally I had somebody drive it and I like stuck my head out and I see this piece of weather stripping doing oh one gosh. of this on the top of the car. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you get a noise, um, even like a wheel bearing. We've had some of those where, or you think you think it's a wheel bearing, but it's something completely different. Or you think it's like, yeah, it's the left side, one hundred percent, and it's the right side wheel bearing. You know, and then you sit in the passenger seat, and you're like, wait a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's weird how noises will transfer through a vehicle. But uh, have you done anything with the um, 
the NVH where you can uh, like actually connect it to, I think you connect it to like the frame of the driver's seat. I've never owned one myself, but it'll actually pull up like a scope and a waveform of the first order, second order, all that stuff. You guys use those? Yes. So uh, it's called a PicoScope and it's just a fancy oscilloscope. Um, But yeah, I love that thing. Even when I was a tech, um, that as soon as it came out, I was like, I want to know everything about this. Um, Yeah. So I use it on communication systems. I'll use it on battery draw issues. I'll I'll use it on obviously vibrations. Uh Um, And I think it's difficult um, because there is a little bit of a learning curve, right? On to distinguish what you're seeing in a graph and applying it to the car, mm-hmm. right? So if we're talking T1 tire vibration, um, that's one high spot per revolution of the diameter of the tire. Okay. And then all of a sudden everybody's lost, right? <laughs> no. Um, so then if you have T2, that's two high spots per revolution of the diameter of the tire. Okay. So let's say you have a 20-inch tire going down the road, or 20-inch um, diameter. If you have two high spots, that's the same as one high spot per revolution of half the diameter. So it okay. could be a 10-inch component with a high spot. Oh, okay. So now you start to see the difference between a T1 and a T2. Mm-hmm. And how you can apply that to, okay, what is 10-inch diameter on a vehicle? Gotcha. Could it be a torque converter? Could it be a hub? Could it be you know, a rotor or whatever? So you start going down that rabbit Interesting. hole of frequencies. Yeah. yeah, I have a I have a Pico scope, but I just use it for like electrical and pressure stuff for the engine. I never got the the NVH kit, but I've seen some of the videos on it. It looks really interesting. If you if you're trying to track down that stuff, I, I'm sure it's extremely valuable to have. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I love using the scope though. Um, I I don't pull out my Pico as much as I used to. I got like a little U scope that's about this size and I do most of my communication stuff with that. But anytime you need like really good detail or two channels or more, the, yeah, the Pico is the way to go for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's some of the stuff that we check in the dealership. So that's another part of my job. Um, so we do something called state of health. So we go in and we check dealership equipment and tools mm. to make sure that they have everything that they need to do their job efficiently. And the PicoScope is definitely one of the things that we're looking at and checking chassis ears, things like that. Um, I usually take that opportunity to try to teach them more because I'll, I'll see the hesitation, you right. know, but I want to make sure that you have it, know how to use it. Um, and of course, we provide all that documentation too, so... Yeah, that's awesome. That was going to be one of my questions is, you know, are you seeing it actually be used um, in the dealerships or is it one of those situations where it sits in the box and the leads have never been opened sort of thing? No, I do see it used in the dealership. I think its main usage is for the vibration aspect of it. Okay. And we've started pushing the training for using it for battery draws and electrical intermittent concerns and things like that. You know, something that a fluke is too slow to see. Sure. The Pico can get it. Does GM provide known goods of any type as far as the the waveforms and the patterns go? Like if you want to do a cam crank on something, do they have a reference library? We do. We do. Okay. And um, I think Pico actually has their own too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... We're really pushing that. And I think a lot of other manufacturers are as well. I mean, it's a great tool. I'm starting to see it more and more often, even if it's not necessarily a Pico, where they'll include known good scope captures of particular things, whether it be, yeah, communications network or a cam crank waveform or something like that. And that definitely was not always the case in service information. It's ohm check this wire and then ohm check that wire. Now they're starting to include more and more as time goes on. So that that's immensely helpful um and yeah maybe remove some of that hesitation from technicians right like if they have like oh okay this is what it's supposed to look like well let me hook up and see does it look like that or not you know rather than i have no idea what this is supposed to look like is this good is this bad i don't know i i never pull the scope out until i'm in trouble so i don't know (laughs) i don't know what the good looks like right i've heard that before um 
And I mean, it brings up a good point when we're talking about tooling, like, like Picoscopes, mm-hmm. I think it really is just such a jump from what we, we used to think about when we, when we talk about skilled trades and, you know, working in a shop, you know, we're dealing with very advanced diagnostic equipment. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, 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 my hope is that as we, you know, start to normalize some of this equipment. Um, you know, you see technicians with laptops instead of wrenches walking around, right? Um, I'm hoping that that starts to change the general um, viewpoint of skilled trades jobs, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the environment's changing, the tooling is changing, and the training is changing as well. Yeah, I... So I I taught at a college for about five years for the automotive program and that sort of thing, you know, doing the lab scopes and looking at waveforms and and things of that nature attracts a whole different type of person than, you know, what you traditionally apply to repairing vehicles. Right. And obviously we still need, you know, people to, to fix the vehicles that are into that side of it. There's nothing wrong with that, but we also need somebody to figure out why, the remote on the rear DVD screen doesn't work right, and so it's that's a different. Um, I, I think it's a different set of like passions that you're into, right? Uh, like, and so I'm with this podcast and with other things trying to get that out there. Like, hey, there's a whole other side. There's a whole other world to the automotive thing, and we definitely need people to fill some shoes out there right now. Absolutely, and that's. That's a huge part of it. So, um, you know, I'm, and and one of the reasons I'm here, right? Like, so we we want to have that open dialogue because mm-hmm. because you know, talking leads to action, action leads to change, right? And you know, I love being on this side of General Motors now um, because I've been there as a service technician. I've seen it. I've lived it. Now I'm on the GM side, and I'm actively participating in creating that change. Um, for supporting our current technicians and helping recruit other technicians as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, on the supporting side, you've heard of the GM Excellence Program, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, um, I don't know all the details about it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, man, it was so cool. So, I wish it would it would have been around when I was a GM tech. Um, and it's it's one of those things where let's say they keep up on their training um, and. Each quarter, General Motors like provides your account with points, and of course, you can use points to like you know buy something if you want, like GM accessories or what what have you. But you can also put those points on a Visa, and one point equals one dollar. Like you, hmm. you've got cash money now. So for someone, someone like myself, like I'm GM World Class certified, um, that's an extra six thousand dollars a year. Wow. That's, that's not awesome. a little bit of money. That's that's quite right. a bit of money um, <laughs> yeah. that we're just giving technicians for doing their training. Um, so I I see it. I see what General Motors is doing. And in fact, I'll tell you a little little story. Um, so I started with General Motors in um, well after being a technician. I started with General Motors in uh, November 2016. Okay. And I think it was December 2016, I went to my first conference out in Michigan. And I get there and I'm terrified. You know, 30 days ago, I was just a technician in a dealership. And now I'm here with with GM people, right? Yeah. And I'm in this meeting and one of these executive leadership people, they, you know, suits, he, he gets up and he starts talking about how invaluable our technicians are and how we want to help them um, uh, provide them with everything that they need um, and how they're the you know backbone of our service departments and all of this. And I sat there and I was like, did anybody think to tell the technicians how much General Motors values them? Um, and and now we're having these talks, right? Like mm-hmm. we know it on the GM side. We love our technicians and we want to provide them with everything we can. And there is that disconnect that we see, right? Sure. Um, because we don't own the dealerships. We don't. Um, but as we're going through it, we we also see the trend of we don't have that many technicians at this point. 
Um, and we're, we're seeing that. And I think the negative connotation that I touched on earlier, I think that's a big part of it as well, of why people don't want to be in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and But one of my hopes and like one of my passions that I have is I, I want to help change the technician environment for good. But I also want to help bring diversity into the dealership. I think it's important. I think, um, I think that will help, you know, this trend, this downward trend that we see uh, mm-hmm. people le- leaving the field. And I think when we change the narrative from, you know, turn and wrenches to computer technician, I think that's where we're going to really start to see a whole different uh, population coming into the dealerships. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're able to present that to the potential candidates uh, and obviously it, it involves developing that role, you know, like you guys are doing and like a lot of shops are, are finding out is like, Hey, we need this diagnostic technology centered person, right? Technician obviously, but we need a technology person involved with these vehicles. And then you know, showcasing that to potential applicants, like, Hey, we need you to come in and figure out these computer networks and solve these electrical issues on the vehicle. Again, it attracts a different kind of person, but yeah, for so many years it was, yeah. Grease monkey turning wrenches. And we're still fighting to against that, you know, to a point, um, right. Like I said, I was with the college for a while and we would talk with high school counselors and things like that. And it, the image has definitely shifted over the years. It's not what it was if you go back to like the early 2000s, but um, there's there's still some way to go. But like you say, like I'm passionate about it and I try to get that message out there as much as I can. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of an elephant in the room. I mean, I'm. it's not uncommon for me to be the only female in the shop. Right. Um, and, you know, my hope is that that changes. Yeah. You know, at yeah. some point that's just normal. And, yeah. you know, I think that when we're talking about the way that you diagnose something, just someone that's interested in, you know, puzzle solving or how things come apart and put together, regardless of your gender, people can do that um, and, and take an interest in it. And then suddenly you can fix cars. You can diagnose. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're limiting, you know, who comes in and does that to a certain you know, certain type of person, you're missing out on so many different, you know, walks of life and perspectives that can really add something, you know, to the, the diagnostic specifically, but that they'd have a perspective on something that you'd never think of. Right. And I, I like that when we were in college too, we bring the, you know, the kids and sometimes not even kids, they'd be adults coming to the program. Like, what did you do prior to this? you know, how can you take that experience and apply it to what we're doing now? Because everybody's got something a little bit different, right? Everybody's got a different way of thinking through a problem or a perspective, something they've dealt with in the past. And yeah, I never wanted to say, yeah, like you had to grow up on a farm fixing your dad's tractor to be in here. Like, obviously, hey, you'll have a great advantage and be able to fix stuff, but everybody can, you know, bring something to this uh, in order to it just yeah, just add their their own personality, their own experience to the the job, which is I think really valuable. Absolutely, and you, I think you touched on it. You know, personally, not coming from an automotive background, there were those subtle small things that I had to learn from, let's say, mentors in the shop or things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I see that GM is actually doing things like that to where we can grow our own technicians. Um, things like TechTube. I don't know if you've seen it, TechLink, right. things like that. Have we have these resources for our technicians um, to like show, let's say, how to set up the PicoScope. Um, okay. If you don't have a shop form in there that um, has the time to show you how to do something, we're providing those types of um, information because we're visual learners, right? I think the majority of us are hands-on yeah. visual. And just reading about it wasn't enough. And so we started putting out resources of here's a video of how you do this. Let me show you. Um, and I think that's just absolutely important. And um, 
like I said, I have a passion for it and I see the work that goes into it. Um, and the good news is there's, there's not just me who was mm-hmm. in the dealership prior. There are other uh, General Motors employees that have been in the field that know what it's like. And we're creating that change um, to make the environment better. That's awesome. That's all you can do is uh, what is your circle of influence, right? Where can you make that, uh, that change and then really focus on that and uh, try to try to make it better. Um, Cause there's a lot of shops that I go to that, uh, you know, still kind of operate in a, in a, maybe an old school way. And it's really tough on the technicians. I feel bad for a lot of places I go to because they're not getting the support, like what you're talking about um, as far as, getting them what they need, getting them the training, giving them the encouragement that, Hey, we appreciate you. And that's why I see so many of them walk out and go to other fields and become an electrician or a HVAC or whatever, you know? And boy, if, yeah, if you're listening to this and you got a shop, like take notice of this sort of thing and, and start implementing as much of this as you can. Um, an independent, obviously you're not going to be able to you know, do all the exact things that you're talking about, but you, you can get your guys the training, you can get the equipment that they need. You can give them the support, you know, to help them help remove obstacles throughout the day. That's the big one. Like I have, I have one guy working for me and my thought process is like, okay, how do I remove as many obstacles as I can from him getting to the, (laughs) the goal? And then, okay, now I need to go do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's why I enjoy the, if you will, mundane part of my job, because to me, it's, it's extremely important to go into a dealership and analyze their equipment and make sure that they have what they need, because it is absolutely crucial. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something as simple as, you know, for instance, we all diagnose vehicles differently, right? Um, I do have access to engineering tools and things like that, but I don't do that. When I go in to diagnose a vehicle, I'm using the exact same equipment that the technician is using because I want to see those problems. I want to experience them so I can take that feedback um, and, you know, whatever challenges that are in their way, we're here to work through them and make their job as easy as possible so we can get the customers back on the road. Sure. Yeah, that's... uh... That's really good because how else would you know like that their equipment is not set up right or it's broken or it's missing something unless you're the one actually using it? Exactly. Like, yeah, I've got my Pico scope. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there? Um, do Do you guys provide remote assistance at all, or are you uh, going in to the shop every time that you're working on a vehicle? I do provide remote assistance as needed. Um, and a lot of the time um, we'll, we'll use video chat, like what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can actually see what the technician sees. So he can nice. show me, he can point to things. Um, and we do that from time to time. Like, you know, um, during the pandemic, we were trying to be very safe about things and um, going into dealerships, you know, you have to work closely with people. So you're wearing your N95 and all of that, but remote assistance really um, took off during that time. And we were able to fix vehicles, you know, um, just like we're sitting here today. Yeah. So it, it really helps out um, in that aspect. I think the only thing that I'm not able to fix remotely is noises. Sure. Yeah, that that's tough. To uh huh. I've gotten the 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 video or audio file on my phone. Like somebody texts me, like, "What's this noise?" And it's just like, <laughs> yep. You just hear the engine running. Like, mm, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So uh, that that part of it, yeah, it would definitely not work. Um, but yeah, having having a link to what the uh, the technician's seeing. I saw a couple like prototypes for glasses that the technician would put on. I think the idea would, you could like pull up wiring diagrams or component locations on them, but I think it was for tech assistance as well. So that the person on the other side, you would be able to see what the technician's seeing. I don't know who, I think it was Nissan that I saw the prototype uh, put out for, but uh, I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of augmented reality 
you know, going forward in the future and things like that to help tax? I do enjoy the remote stuff, but I think my favorite part is the hands-on stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, just being there in person, that's that's where you're going to get the most value and yep. and be the most efficient, I think. Oh, for sure. So I like being out in the field. Yep. Yeah, you got to see, you got to feel, smell, and hopefully not taste the vehicle to <laughs> figure some of this stuff out, right? Exactly. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I want to be uh, respectful of your time. So um, about an hour here. Uh, thank you for joining me and spending the time uh, to explain what you do. That's incredibly interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, I, I, we, we should do this again because I like I like the stories and sounds like you got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> Sean, thanks so much for reaching out, and it's been a pleasure. Um, I you know I I will say this: this is different than what I usually get to do. Um, okay. Typically, I don't get to talk about diagnostics, um, but it's it's definitely something that I have a passion for. So, thank you for what you do, and thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Another big thank you to Brittany for spending the time with me. That was great. I hope you enjoyed that as well. Also like to thank all of the listeners of the show and all of the feedback. Um, I will say this, the last episode I put out or second to last episode I put out about the website that I didn't name, I was not prepared for the amount of people that messaged me asking about that website. So I I do want to say if that was you and I tried to get back to everybody who messaged me, um, I'm sorry if it was a short response, but um, it was upwards of 200 people that I messaged back. So eventually I was just copy and pasting the website address. So please don't take that as uh, I'm you know, ignoring or not wanting to conversate. That's not it. I just, um, my phone kind of blew up on that one. So (laughs) lesson learned for the future, but Hey, either way, I really do appreciate you listening to the show and actually caring about what I have to say on here. Uh, so uh, I'm not, not complaining in any way, shape or form. It's great to have a community, uh, surrounding the show. So with all of that out of the way, let's get out there and start fixing the world. One car at a time.